0: If you would, we're going to uh, take a little bit of a break this morning from Acts, and we're going to look at Colossians. You can turn in your Bibles to the book of Colossians. and Let's pray as we go to God's Word. Our Father, we were uh, dead in our trespasses and sin, but it's you who made us alive together with Christ in your grace. Uh, He is preeminent. He is the firstborn of creation, the head of the body, the church. In Him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. Father, let us learn to live more and more daily in the astonishing mercy that that we have been filled in Him. Cause us to put away the old man with its passions and desires and to put on the new man, which is being renewed in the image of our Creator. By your spirit, will you root us and establish us firm in the faith that we may be stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. May we live lives fully assured of all the will of God and pleasing unto you. All these blessings I ask for are ours in Christ, according to your word. So with confidence, I ask that your spirit apply them to these people in fullness here this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we read this morning, just a few comments. Um, we are, again, taking a break from Acts, and I wanted to look at the theme of maturity, spiritual maturity, in the book of Colossians. Uh, Colossians is, I'd say, my favorite book. I had opportunity one time a few years ago to memorize the book, and I commend that practice to you as it's, along with First Peter 1, which is the other uh passage that I have committed to memory as, as far as large passages go, uh, that those things stick with you, memorizing large passages. So I, I recommend that to you, uh, but today we're going to look at, at maturity in Colossians, and I realize there's some irony in the 34-year-old um, preaching on maturity in an older congregation. I, I don't claim to be a paragon or an expert of, of maturity, but I praise God that uh, he carries a message that the messenger carries a message that transcends the messenger's own capacities. Um, so, the book of Colossians, to give a brief introduction, is Paul writing to uh, guard the church of Colossae against error and he's showing that uh, Jesus is the fullness Jesus is the substance and therefore Jesus is sufficient and Jesus is complete and he far surpasses any vain philosophy that may be out there or, or vain religiosity that these teachers might be afflicting the Colossian people with and we have this extraordinary thing in the book of Colossians that not only is Jesus himself full and complete, but that in him, as we talked about this morning, in our union with him, we share in that completeness, that fullness uh, as well. Um, and so this uh, Paul here writes this letter of Colossians from prison. And there's a man named Epaphras in the letter who seems to have been the pastor of Colossae who has visited Paul in in prison at Rome and he's given him a report about the church and so this is Paul's letter to the Colossians and um, we're going to read the whole thing we're going to read all of Colossians and I'll ask you to stand if you will it's a little bit longer so if that's uh, uncomfortable for you feel free to sit down but uh, we're going to read the book of Colossians together for which I need my Bible If you would follow along and read along silently as I read aloud, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God, our father. We always thank God, the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven of this you have heard before in the word of the truth the gospel which has come to you has indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth just as you learned it from Epaphras our beloved fellow servant he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the spirit Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel which you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake, and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and worship of angels going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world. Why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven. So you must also forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. That your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. Say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Amen. This is the Word of God. Thank you for indulging me and reading the whole book. As Paul urges Timothy, it is good to devote ourselves to the public reading of Scripture. To me, it's a really encouraging thing to read large passages of Scripture from time to time. Um, so again, today we're going to be looking at the theme of maturity in the book of Colossians. And uh, if we go to Corinthians, first Paul says in first, in first Corinthians fourteen twenty, brothers, do not be children in your think do not be children in your thinking, be infants in evil, but in your thinking be mature. Uh, from about 2009, I think, to 2011, I worked at UPS at Commerce City in the very early mornings, about starting at about 3 a.m. And I had hundreds of coworkers there. It's a large facility, and talked with many of them, heard many conversations, what was on these people's minds. And it hit me one morning that the majority of people stop maturing at about eighth grade. I mean, we were talking about. Emotional maturity, and with some of the teachers here at the school, and how can we, we can promote that? And I mentioned that that observation, and one of the teachers said, "Don't say that; that's so discouraging." But it's a true observation. Generally, and spiritually, I'm afraid much of the Western Church is likewise to uh, content to remain spiritually juvenile. Maturity is the command of the apostles to grow up into Christ it is an imperative but one of the things that's most struck me over over the years having mold over colossians is it's much more than a mandate it's a mandate it's a duty to be sure but maturity is also a major element of the gospel Something that God works in us. Sanctification is an element of the gospel. It's something that God works in us. The gospel lays out for us not only the hope of forgiveness and justification and ultimate glorification, but it adds grace upon grace, also offering us the hope of real sanctification, progress in sanctification, real growth in grace. To to uh, as Ephesians says, to attain true manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God. So let's begin our survey of the topic of the doctrine of Christian maturity with the definitions. Uh, what is Christian maturity? Paul uses the word mature twice in Colossians. Uh, Colossians one, twenty-eight and twenty-nine Paul says, Christ we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. He goes on to say, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That everyone may be mature in Christ. And then of Epaphras in chapter 4. Eleven and twelve, he speaks of Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. So that word mature is teleois. You can hear the relationship to the word telos or end. Um, it has this idea of completion, uh, being brought to completion, fully accomplished. Fully developed, fully realized, complete, entire. Or as opposed to what is partial and limited. has kind of the idea of ripeness. You don't go out to your garden and, and pick a green cherry tomato and pop it in your mouth. Right? No one wants that. There's a fullness, a completion, a ripeness to the fruit that we want to eat. Similar, when you see teenagers, you come to school in a midweek here and there's a bunch of these gangly kids, right? But as, especially as men, they grow up, they obtain musculature and they fill out. Sometimes that's the language we use of teens is they haven't filled out yet. This idea of maturity is being filled out or fully grown spiritual adults. Peter says in, in 1 Peter 2, two Like newborn infants long for the sp- pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. So maturity has this idea of, of completion. Not in the sense that we've somehow arrived or, or somehow already been glorified. It's not that kind of completion. But in the sense that we are developed, we're, we're well grounded, we're ripe we're fruitful and productive Christians. We are fully formed. Similarly, James 1.4 says, And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, word perfect is the same word as Paul uses here for maturity. It's fullness, completeness. This idea, to me, is encouraging to the Christian in that I think sometimes we just bemoan our sinfulness so much that we forget that sanctification is real. That we can make progress in sanctification and maturity. That just as a man becomes fully formed in his body and, and, With a full musculature and height and strength, and his mind is matured, he has the capacity to reason, to problem solve, to think, and emotionally he's not tossed to and fro by every every event in his life. Just as that's true for for human beings, it's true spiritually as well, that we can attain a measure of spiritual uh, adulthood, spiritual maturity. So the Christian truly grows into a well-formed spiritual adult, eating meat for spiritual food, grounded and rooted and fruitful in Christ. So here's what I would say Christian maturity is, at least from Colossians in a narrow view, is that it's an attainable spiritual adulthood, never arriving, always seasoning, but a fullness of spiritual formation. In the pre- that's present in the life of the Christian. So I've identified six marks of spiritual maturity, Christian maturity. And the way you break these down, you could have a hundred marks or you could categorize them under one thing, but I've come up with six. Um, and the first of these marks is love for the saints. Love for the saints. Verse, uh, chapter 1, verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love that you have for all the saints. And again, in the second half of verse 7 of chapter 1, he says, Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So for Paul, the news that they love one another is one of the first signs that they have living and active faith. He celebrates love as a fruit of faith in Christ Jesus. And it's one of the marks of a maturing Christian that that he's increasingly outwardly focused. With a particular love placed on the, the people of God. The maturing Christian is coming to the understanding that he is not an island. That the Christian life is a corporate life. In chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says that I want you to know how great a struggle I have had for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, knit together in love. Knit together in love, and uh, this is this is part of Paul's purpose in maturing these saints by this letter. And again, in chapter two nineteen, Paul identifies true Christians as those who are holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, through its joints, uh, is nourished together through its joints and ligaments, and grows with a growth that is from God. So he pictures this life life in Christ as a corporate life with Christ as the head. And then again in chapter 3, 12 through 16, Paul's identifying the fruit of the gospel in the body of Christ in the church. He says, being united together in love, how shall we then live as we are united together as Christ's body? In verse 12, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. So, this is a theme that runs throughout Colossians, that spiritual, the spiritually mature are those who love the body, who are part of of the body of Christ, bearing with one another. I like that phrase. Putting up with each other. Setting aside petty differences to focus on Christ and the word of God richly nourishing us, correcting us and instructing the body. Many people today lack the spiritual essential of life in community with the body of Christ. In part, some of them because they refuse to love the body of Christ, interested in his word, but are not interested in his church. They stay home, perhaps because they've been hurt by the church. I don't want to be insensitive to real hurts, which there are many and we've all been hurt by the church. But the church is not an optional component of the Christian life. So maybe I'll be a little insensitive and say, gird up your loins, put on your man pants and get to church. Love the body. With all her warts, her pimples, her halitosis, her off-putting personality, she's Christ's bride. We love the church. That is the first mark of spiritual maturity. Second is that the spiritually mature look forward and look up. They look forward and look up. I think that's one of the hallmarks of a mature, older person. And the reason we younger people should approach them for advice is they have learned to think ahead. They know better than to just live in the now. Conversely, the immature person lives for the present. They're impulsive. They're unthinking. But a mature Christian is forward-looking. They form their lives in light of the future. In verse 1 verses 4 and 5, chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, Paul says the reason for the faith and the love that the Colossians have is, and the grounding source of that love and faith is verse 5, because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. The hope, the future hope of glory is the reason that they love each other. Thinking, I was thinking this week of a Christian as, as an inverted tree where the roots extend to heaven, and that's the source of his life. That That's the grounding source of faith and love. Paul tells us as much in 3, 1 through 4, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in, in glory. So the mature Christian is not a, a reactive person, but he lives his or her life with intention, knowing that whatever happens in this life, everything's grounded in the hope of our future inheritance. That, that's so grounding. That keeps us from being shaken in this life. And it's what enables us to trudge through life in what may be monotonous or painful or downright persecution or suffering. And we see this in chapter four, verses verse twenty two, beginning verse twenty two, which says, Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men. Why? because you have a fair wage, because you love your work. No, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So it's the hope of the inheritance and the reward that we have in Christ that enables us to push through those difficult things. Future inheritance and our covenantal adoption grounds us So that we learn patience, we learn diligence and long-suffering in the midst of difficult circumstances. So the second mark of a mature Christian is that they look forward and they look up. The third mark is that mature Christians bear fruit. In one sense, all these could be classified under bearing fruit, um, but the the fruit of the trees whose roots are in heaven rain down fruit on our on our lives in the most practical ways. The whole of chapter three tells us what these fruits are, and it's interesting, they're not the most radical of fruits. Put off then the old man with its practices, put on the new man. Love the brotherhood of believers. Wives, submit to husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Parents, do not provoke your children. Cohen knows that verse. He brings it up to me. I don't know if he brings up the previous part. And and, and vocation. Servants, submit to your masters. These are the most basic parts of, the, of of a human life and and the fruit of the gospel is that those basic parts are submitted to christ morality obedience the church family and vocation so when paul prays that they will bear fruit in every good work in chapter one and that the word of the truth the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing as it also has been among uh, the whole in the whole world what he's talking about here is this this very these very points in chapter three That's the fruit, the rich, loving transformation of the basic attitudes and actions and relationships of life that are transformed by the gospel. So the mature Christian bears fruit. That's the third mark. The fourth mark of Christian maturity is assured confidence. Assured confidence. Uh, We see this in what Pastor Epaphras prayed um, for and, and labored for. In chapter four, verse twelve, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you, for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So these are the things he's worked hard for. This word "struggled" is the Greek word agonizomai. We get our word agonized from it. We don't want to make too much of that, but you can get the sense that he is working hard. And what is he working hard for? That these people would stand mature, fully assured in all the will of God. Uh, young children are, are constantly looking up to their parents. They're, they're wanting to know, am I doing this right? Am, am I doing it right? Then as they mature a little bit, maybe to teenage years, they become convinced that they are indeed doing everything right. They have all knowledge, wisdom, and insight far beyond any other adult they've ever met. But then as a person gets older, they're fully grown, they become truly self-sufficient, self-sustaining. Not in a cocky or arrogant way, but aware aware that as much as they know, they know very little, and yet they're able to stand on their own two feet. And when the winds and waves crash over them, they're not shaken. This is the kind of assurance, the kind of confidence that Paul and Epaphras want for the church at Colossae. Namely, they want them to know the will of God. Shorter Catechism 3 asks, what do the scriptures principally teach? And answers, the scriptures principally teach what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Who is God and what does he want from me? We know those two things. Whatever else we don't know, we are going to be grounded if we know who God is and what he wants from us. we hear a young Christian complain, I just don't know who I am. I don't know how I fit in and what God wants from me. It's often because they're more focused on themselves than God. Because they have become focused on trying to short-circuit the will of God to learn his hidden will rather than taking the long-term approach of learning God's revealed will in the Scriptures. So to know God's will is to be grounded in God. Paul prays his prayer that they may, in verse chapter 1, verse 9, that they may be filled with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, and similar to to Epaphras's prayer, he wants them to to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding, and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So the mature Christian has a robust knowledge of God, and wisdom and understanding with which to apply that knowledge. And it's a wisdom and knowledge that proceeds not necessarily from experience only, but which comes from Christ, which comes from the gospel. So the fourth mark of maturity is assured confidence. The fifth mark is very similar and proceeds from the fourth is stability. The mature Christian is stable. No offense to anyone in the room. Older people can be stubborn, stuck in their ways. But why is that? To be sure, sin plays a factor. But at least part of the reason is they know what they think. They know what works for them, and they're probably not going to change very quickly. And that comes to a degree with certainty, being grounded in who they are. The same is true of spiritual maturity. Uh, and This is really the main point of the whole epistle, that they would be rooted and grounded in the assurance of the gospel so that they wouldn't be battered and moved around by vain philosophy and religion. Now why? Why does Paul want them to reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery? Is it just merely so they have head knowledge about God? He gives us a purpose statement in in chapter 2, verse 4. I say this in order that, there's our purpose clause, in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. Notice these, these words, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So this is stability, being rooted, being established. Amazingly, this is Paul's desire, this is Epaphras' desire, that they be grounded and unshakable in maturity, but it's also, in the book of Colossians, the purpose of Christ himself. In chapter 1, verse 21, And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he that is Christ has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, Here's another purpose statement in order that to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard. So the fifth mark of maturity, Christian maturity is stability that we do not easily waver. That instead of wavering, all of these words that the epistle uses are true of us. That we're stable, steadfast, not shifting, firmness, rooted, built up, established, and fully assured. We're stable. The sixth and the final mark for this morning is the mature Christian is thankful. It's thankful. For me, it's easy to... to focus on my problems and to chase my individual problems like when i when i figure this problem out then i'll be thankful but in the meantime this is sticking in my crawl i can't quite be thankful but to learn contentment how refreshing that would be the mature christian is thankful to god for what he or she has in the midst of their problems And all that we've already discussed really undergirds the thankful heart. That we are assured of what we believe. We know what we believe. We're looking forward and we're looking upward. We're unshakable in the midst of trials and in the waves of false doctrine. And that we're bearing fruit. We're cultivating peace in the most basic spheres of our life. And life lived in covenant community with the people of God. All of this is so grounding for us that it actually enables, it frees us up to be thankful. I think I love this one the most, this theme of thanksgiving and struggle with it the most. So I've been studying maturity. I've also been reading Sinclair Ferguson's book on maturity. And man, it's convicting to realize how immature you are. I'm not thankful enough. To grow in maturity is to learn the art of contentment and is to form a spirit of, of contentment from which thanksgiving grows. I see this in older mature saints. I see this in many of you. that they, You're not filled with angst or striving after wind. You're not obsessed with earthly cares and possessions. Perhaps lacking some of those things that you dreamed of when you were a teenager. You didn't Get there, but you're still thankful and happy to spend time with family and in the Word. A simple contentment. The theme of of thanksgiving runs through Colossians, and it's it's easy to simply read by and kind of not notice. Oh yeah, and be thankful. Thanksgiving just as a secondary sort of thing, but it it keeps coming up throughout Colossians. In verse twelve, Paul says that we're giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share. And the inheritance of the saints in light. And in two six, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Three fifteen through seventeen, we read these as instructional for worship, and I think sometimes again we. Just kind of glance off the the calls to thanksgiving, but there's three of them in this passage, 315-17. through And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to the Father through him. And finally, Paul encourages the saints in 4 to continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Twice in this epistle, Paul refers to the riches of the gospel. I see a great relationship between the riches of the gospel and simple contentment it is fascinating in chapter three when he says he's condemning the works of the flesh and he says to put away uh, covetousness which is idolatry so there's a sense of being content in the riches of the gospel or being covetousness and desirous of all the things we don't have he calls us to thanksgiving because we have an abundant richness in the gospel So whether we're earthly rich or earthly poor, none of it really matters in comparison to the riches of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the mature Christian has in the gospel the security to rest, that our inheritance is certain. Our retirement account is full to overflowing. We don't need to fret or worry, but we can rest confident and be thankful. So those are six marks of a mature Christian. Love the saints. Look forward and upward. Bear fruit. Be assured and confident. Be stable and be thankful. And Before I close, I just want to offer a brief word about priorities and a brief word about the source of maturity. So first, a brief word about priorities. And it's really a simple principle I want to offer and as we think about how we prioritize our lives, what we do with our time. I want to urge you to put spiritual maturity in the ring as kind of a heavyweight contender, as what, in what is kind of a slug fest of prioritizing our lives. The principle is simple, and the principle is this. If it was Paul's priority, and Epaphras's priority, and Jesus' priority, to stimulate maturity in God's people then it should be our priority to seek maturity we saw throughout the epistle that this was Paul's priority this was Epaphras' priority and this was Jesus' priority that Paul said him we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ for this I toil struggling with all his energy He powerfully works within me. And again, a path for struggling in word and prayer that the people would reach all the riches of full assurance. And Jesus himself dying and redeeming us, it says, in order to present us holy and blameless and above reproach before him. A brief word on on the source of maturity, and this could be a whole sermon or series of sermons in itself but maturity is not something we muster up from within Sinclair Ferguson in his book on maturity comments that uh, he heard a a youth preacher preaching to some youth one time and and this youth preacher told the, the kids how he went off to Bible school for a year to get maturity Ferguson says apparently he got it You don't just get maturity. It's not something you just conjure up from within. It is something we must labor at, like Paul and Epaphras labored for it among the saints. But like Paul, it's something we labor for with all his energy that he powerfully works within us. The power of the Holy Spirit working in us. It's grounded in our salvation. Maturity is one of those becoming who we are processes. That our life and our growth flows from the vine over time. Paul grounds the call to maturity in in our union with Christ in chapter 2. This is the source of our maturity. 2 verse 6. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For, and this is is the most amazing verse, I think, in Colossians. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. This is Christ. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And then, and you have been filled in him. In him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. All fullness is in Christ. Fullness has to be granted to us in Christ, just as we learned from from Sproul this morning. Everything comes through Christ, through a union with Christ, including maturity. All the benefits of the gospel come through Christ. So how do you obtain Maturity. You strive at it, you work at it, but ultimately you seek to know Christ. For in him are all the riches of treasure and treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So with that in mind, I'll just close with uh, one of the most glorious passages about Christ in the Bible from uh, chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Amen.